1: starts right now live from the nasdaq market site overlooking new york city's times square i'm melissa lee Your traders on the desk are tim seymour karen finerman brian kelly and dan nathan tonight on fast disney announcing a massive deal to buy a number of fox's assets for 52 billion dollars and it looks like ceo bob Iger isn't going anywhere anytime soon we'll tell you what it all means for disney shareholders plus BitCoin Week continues right here on Fast Money, and that means two things. First, we'll hear from the app at the center of the Bitcoin boom. The president of Coinbase will be here in a First on CNBC interview. We'll ask which new currency could be added to the new platform. And second, it's back. (laughs) That's right. The Bitcoin bug is here. You see it there at the corner of your screen. We'll be tracking the price via the Coinbase app throughout this hour. But first, we start off with trouble in tax-cut paradise. Some of the most tax-sensitive groups, small caps, banks, retail stocks, all sinking as it looks like the bill may not be a done deal. Let's get to Elon Moy in D.C. for all the details. Elon. Melissa, a
2: potential new defection here. Senator Marco Rubio threatening to vote no on the tax bill unless the child tax credit is expanded. he's particularly mad because the proposed corporate rate went from 20 to 21 percent, but that extra revenue went toward lowering the top rate for individuals rather than a measure he said will help middle-class families. In a tweet that he put out in just the past hour, he wrote, adding a few hundred dollars in refundable cuts for working families who always seem to be forgotten isn't hard to do. Now, his decision is critical because Republicans have a razor-thin margin in the Senate. They can only afford to lose two senators. And already we found out today that Mike Lee of Utah, who had been working with Rubio to get that bigger child tax credit, he is undecided. Also on the fence are some of the usual suspects, like Susan Collins of Maine and Bob Corker of Tennessee. So we found out also that Vice President Mike Pence is delaying his trip to Israel next week so he can stay in Washington in case his vote is needed to break any tie. Now, a few details of the bill are continuing to trickle out here. We talked to John Cornyn, who is one of the top Republicans in the Senate. We asked him about that first-in, first-out provision, whether it was going to stay in the final version of the bill. He told us, I think it's going to be out. We will find out for sure tomorrow when the final version is released. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right, Elon, thank you. Elon, Moy, in D.C. And it has been almost paradise for investors. Hopes that tax cuts were coming sooner oh, rather than no. later. Oh, did you really in the Rally know? into year-end. Yeah. The that Dow's up 5% since uh. the House passed version of the GOP tax bill in November. So if the deal gets killed on Capitol Hill, will that be the end of paradise as we know it, Tim?
3: I I don't know if I can speak after getting reacquainted with that song for the first time in a couple decades, although Dan hums that backstage once in a while. So,
4: here we go. Nice.
3: So the debate always rages, and it's raged on this desk, how much tax reform has been priced in. And I think we're going to talk about that with Marco in a second, so I won't get into that. Um, I think it's politically expedient for guys like Marco Rubio to do what they're doing anyway. In other words, to get out there to grandstand, to be on at least record as we get down to the wire. I think there's a lot of grandstanding, uh, more than I think people are going to stand in the way of this bill. I think it's probably getting it done, even though I agree there's some elements of this deal that that seem to be um, not paying enough attention, really, to the American people.
4: Yeah. I think it gets done. I think Still, I thought okay. for a while that that it would get done even if it's watered down, even if it's phased out over time, even if it's not quite right. The, the Actually, it's not momentum, the need for the Republican Party, particularly after earlier this week, to get something done is so great that I think they will do whatever they have to do to get this across the finish line. I think we saw something similar in Obamacare at the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a lot of parties that were unhappy, and yet he jammed it down somehow. And I think that's what President Trump will do. I mean, there's a lot to not like in this bill, but I think, I think they'll get it done.
1: So if we do see the stutters of the market in these groups that we had highlighted at the top of the show financial, small caps, et cetera. Buying opportunities.
4: I would, yeah, I mean, I you know, the banks, I had sold some calls right. against J.P. Morgan. I would look to buy those back tomorrow. I
1: think this is a big buying opportunity for these
5: things. The 1% sell-off in Russell today, I agree with but you guys. I mean, you, this is what politics is. This is what they do. At the moment that they have the most leverage, they come out and ask for what they want to ask for. That's exactly how it works. Now, the market sold off today. I think it's because of that. But that, to me, is a buying opportunity. I agree. The pressure, if they don't come through with something, it is going to be a huge problem for them. So you buy buy... buy these dips.
6: Yeah, and that would be a dip to buy. I mean, if you're looking, waiting for the opportunity for a pullback, I mean, listen, we, you know, we're, all we can do is talk about targets for 2018 and a, you know a continuation of a lot of the um, trends that we've seen this year about earnings growth and how what that factors into risk assets next year. The one thing that we have not been able to really kind of put our arms around is like, you know, is there any major legislation? Is there going to be um, some sort of infrastructure plan after this sort of thing? And that would be the sort of thing where they can get some momentum, but I just don't think they're going to get. It. I mean, I think that to your point, if they limp into this finality of this bill, no one comes out a real big winner. They at to the finality
1: the... but still pass it? But, yeah. No one comes out a winner? Well,
6: I mean, listen, the Republicans have a win, okay, in 2017. Right. But that's about it. No one's particularly happy about what went on here. And you talk about uh, Marco Rubio. Why are you saying no
4: He's one's particularly happy. happy? I think investors will be happy. I think a lot of CEOs are happy. I think, that that, I, I think there's a lot to be happy about for corporate
1: America. I, I mean, look at America. Jamie Dimon. It's QE4, he says. Yeah. Right? QE4, if you buy back and and, and as And as
3: Mike Reno and Annie Wilson in Almost Paradise from the soundtrack of Footloose, by the way, just, you know, circuit. had no idea. Every yeah. song, well, every you know, word. Anyway, okay. um, we're knocking on heaven's door. So we're at a place for a lot of corporate America where they, they have not been. If you ask CEOs over the last two or three administrations, I bet they told, uh, certainly the last eight years, possibly 12, They said, we're not going to do anything in terms of infrastructure, we're not going to do anything in terms of CapEx until we get real tax reform in this country. So I do believe corporate America is doing cartwheels, especially domestic-focused firms who at, are at 36 to 39% effective tax rates. That's a lot of the retailers. That's a lot of the, the staples companies, and I think there's a lot of good news in there for them.
1: And you got to bet that we're going to be hearing from companies as we near closer this tax plan. We know it's in the actual tax plan, and we know it's 21%. But of isn't that player, scary? But, like, but, no, but, wait, wait, but
6: you just said when we finally what? know. This well, 21% is vote, no not voted on.
1: That's why I said, but we know it's 21% we know of the right. plan right now. know enough for corporate America to raise their guidance or Tell us what the impact on EPS is. We heard it from Delta today at their investor meeting. They said e- impact on EPS for 2018 is a buck to a buck 25. The upper oh, end yeah. of their yearly that's EPS model, is five That's that. a huge boom. Bottle
6: that, but right? this is also called a tax cut and jobs plan. Okay, there's nothing talking about jobs or anything like that. That's, Who needs jobs? Is, the whole
3: country's employed. I mean, and I know that's a callous thing to say, but again, rate. the Fed just you know, upgraded. And, in other words, sort of pushed employed, down on no wage rate. growth.
6: No wage growth. Well, right. I
3: think actually I don't think that's true. And if you look at a lot of the parts of the manufacturing world, which somehow I I think we're spending too much time trying to support, by the way. Um, There's not enough manufacturing jobs. There's actually not enough skilled labor out there. So it means that actually wages have to go up or companies are going to have to turn down a lot of these projects because I I think wages have to go.
1: I mean, the bottom line here, Dan, is do you invest with your political views or do you acknowledge that the market has some sort of momentum and believes that tax reform is going to be a boost to the market? I don't know.
6: Whatever, have at it, people. No, no, no you know, I'm Have a ball. Honest, I'm if you if you walk question. away from this scam and you feel good about America,
1: I'm this is, an it's an absolute. Something. It's a flat out lie. There's it's a flat out
6: lie. It's a wealth transfer to I don't think anybody on this desk has CEOs. said what
1: they believe politically.
6: Right. But they have right. said
1: what they believe the tax. But it's a plan lie, See, email, but, but
6: so, so how I invest, I try to kind of find facts. You know, I like that. I like that sort of thing. This is a lie. I mean, it's just a lie. I mean, the only thing but, that's true about it is that they're cutting the corporate tax rate permanently, okay, to twenty-one percent. That's the only thing. all the individual though, yeah. rates. I mean, they, they, they. they, they uh, they go away in 2024, 2025, that sort of thing. So it's... it's but is it out? a
3: lie if it gets done? Because it really doesn't matter. And it's the same thing with the people that said the Fed were, were lighting a fire under the economy, so they, you know, it was all it was all a ruse. I mean, the Fed has successfully inflated asset prices, which is what they wanted to do. Um, ultimately, what this administration wants to do is it wants to get corporations hungrier to reinvest in themselves, in their people, and in this country. But really, it's about the, them investing in themselves. Let's, let's be clear. I think a lot of these corporations are just very happy to to be able to put their money to work, to take deductions, to to be incentivized to actually put their money to work.
1: All right. Well, our next guest is the man some say moves the markets. Marco Kalanovic is the global head of derivatives and quantitative strategy at J.P. Morgan. He just released his price target of 3,000 on the S&P for 2018. In other words, Marco has gone full bull here. Let's find out why, Marco. <laughs> it's always great to have you on the show. Does 3,000 by the end of next year reflect tax?
7: Yes, it, it does. Mm-hmm. So our EPS forecast is 153. Um, so basically, out of uh, that EPS upside, we say $10 is because of tax. You know, so about a half of the upside is tax, and a half, of, a half is sort of top line growth, margin expansion, buybacks. So we think the sort of the, the the this reform is very important. It's sort of transformational. It's it's a very large impact on sort of on bottom line of U.S. corporate. So basically, we take the EPS with tax, mm-hmm. and we assume that multiple doesn't go much lower. So we assume stable multiple. And um, that, there is obviously some sort of a, a risk around that assumption. We think that sort of Fed is not going to go too fast. Other central banks are not going to uh, go too fast. So this multiple stays at least, net, let's say, next one to two quarters. You know, like so, so I would say like we have a rally early on, end of this year, early next year. Then we need to watch closely central banks, you know, because basically if they really start tightening, then uh, multiple could get in questions. But assuming current multiple is 3,000.
3: Well, so 18?
5: Uh, uh, Forward? Yes. Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, Marco, you mentioned Central Banks. You mentioned the second half of the year. So <laughs> what we've experienced is very low volatility, just kind of steady climb, right? In 2018, I, I, the, if we get to 3,000, what's that ride going to look like?
7: Are there going to be opportunities to be buying dips and have big swings here? So I would say in the second half of next year, is going to be more bumpier, you know, because if you look at the volatility now, so VIX was averaging around 11 realize volatility around six or seven, um, sharp ratio on S&P, two and a half, it's, it's extraordinary. So we, we don't think it's sustainable. You know, so, so we think volatility is gonna stay low for let's say next few months. Once the tax reform gets priced in, once when these rotations kind of like uh, 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 play out, um, Fed hikes in March, we expect volatility to start creeping up. You know, So we think sort of next year average maybe 13, 14 of VIX early on in the year it's gonna probably stay low and then it's gonna actually start going higher so I think in the second half you'll get these type of opportunities.
1: Are we going to see volatility ramp up significantly when that happens? I'm asking because I'm wondering if investors are are too Mm. lulled into believing that it's going to be low vol forever.
7: Correct so I think it's it's very very hard to forecast average level of volatility you know it's it's really about distribution you know so we are saying that tail risk is rising significantly next year. Which means
1: in plain language.
7: uh, It means that volatility can there is a potential for volatility to spike significantly but let me just explain it a little bit. Like you know, so let's say in every, any given year you have like one percent chance that volatility explodes, right? So significant increase of terrorists may be from one percent to ten percent, you know. But ten percent may still be unlikely event, you know. Like so, we are saying this risk is rising. So you should keep that in mind. We think basically in the second quarter investors should start also hedging tail risk, you know, like again, not necessarily saying that it's gonna that market is gonna crash or something just like that. Get ready. But get ready, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, as we've seen the markets ramp or as you forecast the markets to ramp in the first half of the year, what sectors do you wanna be in?
7: So we think sort of basically rotation will be um, top-down starting kind of from bonds to equities, from international equities to U.S. equities, from growth into value, you know. So if you're now gonna map that into sectors, those will be basically financials, industrials, materials, energy, telecoms uh, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the upside, small caps over large caps, domestic over internationals. You know, what you should probably stay away are bond proxies, so REITs, utilities, staples, on technology, we are sort of you know always debating neutral or underweight. so we're actually underweight technology. my colleague Dubravko strategist. he's uh, underweight uh, technology, but underweight means just that it may lag the rest of the market doesn't mean that it has to go down but right. may actually go up less than these other sectors.:
1: Okay Marco, good to see you as always. Marco Kalonovic. Uh, Karen? Well, I, I kind of agree
4: we're, yeah. we're just having the discussion. I also agree about you know the international exposure as well. I try to think, all right what, what are the things that are most likely to make this not happen? Uh, Inflation that I've been expecting for a while that we haven't seen, but and and so that the Fed needs to tighten quicker. Maybe to me that's and then always the wild card North Korea, sure, but black swans, yeah, yeah, the black swan sort of. What did you do today?
3: Well, buying some weakness in some of these materials names is Hmm. is is what I think is the most interesting to do because if you think about what Marco just said, um, value over growth. This is clear. Look, valuations for a few of these guys are now actually very cheap. And remember, for a lot of materials and energy names, um, just because they are beaten up doesn't mean that they were cheap. But we now actually have a couple decent quarters and numbers. I think a lot of these guys have better balance sheets. Those are things I think you can you can buy.
8: What well, you today? for
3: me, Goldman Sachs, it's another opportunity here. We talked about it earlier in the early week, that
5: breakout through 255. It's back down to 255. As long as it holds that support, this is where you buy it. You
6: know what makes the market, brother? What's that? Yeah, that was what I did today. I actually took the other side of that. Really? Yeah, so I, well, so listen, here's I the thing. I bought 72 my, shares. <laughs> <laughs> my view, uh, you know, I put a put spread on here. This stock has rallied 10% since the end of November. I think a lot of optimism about mm-hmm. um, a tax uh, bill happening. And listen, you guys are right. It's probably going to happen, that sort of thing. If it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks. I think you see this stock give back a good portion of that is massively underperformed. Morgan Stanley is up 24% on the year. JP Morgan's up 21% on the year. The stock was down at the end of November. So to me, something kind of funky is going on with Goldman Sachs all year long, given the underperformance. So to me, I think you see this thing back at 240 before you see 20% or uh, excuse me, 20 bucks higher. So.
1: All right. Coming up, Coinbase has been at the center of the crypto crisis. Bitcoin believers have been flocking to the app. The president of Coinbase will be here to tell us how they are cashing in on crypto fever and which new currency could be added to the platform. Plus, Disney announcing a deal to buy parts of 21st Century Fox. and CEO Bob Iger sticking around at the helm. Disney expert Jim Stewart of The New York Times will tell us what he thinks it means for the stock. And later, Karen Finerman stepping up to the plate with a brand new fast pitch. And you should listen to her because the last stock she pitches, up a walk. in the last five months. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our move of the day. Check out the biotech ETF, the XBI, sinking nearly 2%. And uh, take a look at some of the names dragging it down. Juno Therapeutics, Sage Therapeutics, which had been on a big run, Gilead and Biogen, all lower. So what should we make of these moves, Tim?
3: Well, first of all, technically, if you look at the IBB, you're actually running into a lot of resistance around 106 to 108. You could call this a bear cross. You've got actually a 50 going over the 100. So you're changing some of the short-term direction over the long stuff. If you look at Gilead, it, can't, it a lot of these guys have rallied off the ground. If you look at a Celgene, had a great rally off the bottom. But, I mean, Celgene, you've got a $19 billion patent cliff that's hanging over this company. You've got a lot of companies with at least hangovers, whether it's M&A or not. I think it's to buy. I think the valuations in this sector are very interesting, and I think these guys are certainly growing to, to, to befit those valuations. Yeah, my concern, though, is that you what you've
5: expected all year is this M&A that everybody's talked about. We've had some of it, but now everything's starting to sell off. So I wonder if this is kind of the sell the news event. So I personally would be very cautious here, wouldn't necessarily be shorting it, but I'd be very cautious, particularly with XBI, which is the uh, other biotech uh, ETF.
1: Have you been in biotech recently? No, you know, I had a
4: valiant position, got scared out. It's much higher than where I sold it. And oddly and stupidly, I was happy that it was down $2 today, which isn't, I mean, I, it's that's just. not a, nice. I'm I long. Know,
3: I'm, I know. Oh, okay. very mean, Karen. So It
4: is mean. I was, It's stupid it's that I feel that way. But, you know, one it's can't help. It's know it that you can be, be
3: that way because you seem so nice.
4: I, I am nice is the thing. I am nice, and I feel bad that I feel that way. I can't help <laughs> it. I'm just right. expressing it. All right. I'm not long anymore. Good still luck I, to you, Tim. Thank you. No, no, so that, that was su- nice. Very sweet. Yes. It shall move
1: without me. Okay. <laughs> still ahead. Karen Feynman says one stock that's up 38% off its 52-week low is about to serve even higher she'll tell us what it is and give us the fast pitch i'm melissa lee you're watching fast money on cnbc first in business worldwide in the meantime here's what else is coming up on fast
6: Seems that way for Bob Iger, who'll be sticking around a while after his mega Fox deal. We'll tell you what that could mean for shareholders. Plus, which new cryptocurrency could be coming to Coinbase? We'll ask the new president of the company in his first interview when Fast Money returns.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The crypto craze is hitting a fever pitch. Uh, At the center of it all is Coinbase, one of the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges. But just what is Coinbase? Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break it down. Bob.
9: There's lots of excitement around digital currencies recently, and Coinbase is in the middle of it all. Coinbase runs the largest exchange for digital currencies. Users can purchase Bitcoins, Ether, and now Litecoin from Coinbase through a digital wallet available on Android and iPhone or through trading with other users on the company's GDAX subsidiary. They have 13 million users in 33 countries and are growing. The Bitcoin Futures stories has been a big help. They gained roughly 100,000 new users the day after the CME announced they were going to launch Bitcoin futures. In August, they completed a $100 million Series D funding, raising a total of $217 million since 2012. Investors include Andreessen Horowitz, USAA, and here, the New York Stock Exchange. Coinbase is known for its low fees, only 0.25% if you are a taker, as well as its wide variety of deposit and withdrawal options and its insurance. All digital currency that Coinbase holds online is fully insured. This means that if Coinbase were to suffer a breach Of its online storage, the insurance policy would pay out to cover any customer funds lost as a result. But there's been complaints, most notably about being unable to access money when promised, or difficulties with managing the wallet account, as well as forcible account closures for those who violate rules on spending their coins. Coinbase, for their part, says they're working to reduce the problems. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Well, for more on just how big the crypto craze could get, let's bring in the president and COO of Coinbase himself, Asif Hirji, in his first televised interview since taking that role. Asif, welcome to Fast Money. We're glad to have you. Thank you, Melissa, for inviting me to the show. Let's talk about the astronomical growth in the number of accounts that Coinbase uh, has. Who are these new accounts And, and what is the average size of these accounts?
10: So, so we have been um, seeing a lot of account growth, as, as, as has been reported. Um, our trade volumes are up about 30 times over the course of this year, and we've had days where we've opened you know, tens of thousands of accounts. There were even days when we were the number one app in the App Store, which is, which is a little uh, surprising. Uh, it's, it's, I think, consistent with the asset class maturing and becoming more mainstream. These are the same types of people that you would imagine would have trading accounts uh, at brokerages and want to invest in cryptocurrency. And we're, we're delighted that they have chosen to, to open their accounts at Coinbase and, and, and have us as their provider.
1: Your background is from a uh, retail equity trading platform, TD Ameritrade. And I'm curious That's if right. you see an overlap or a competition for these active traders. Are these the same guys trading actively on the equity side of the business? Or are they, is, is Coinbase, is cryptocurrency, is that sort of pulling them away from, from the other <laughs> trades?
10: Look, I think it's a bit of both. I think think there have been a lot of people who have been trading cryptocurrencies for a long time, and they wouldn't have been the same people who were necessarily trading equities. And now as the asset class has matured, I think you're seeing a lot of people who are adding it, just like any other asset class, to their overall portfolio.
1: I want to talk to you about... uh... Things that are coming up, so to speak, Asif, because, sure. you know, we have a lot of uh, Twitter followers who are avid cryptocurrency fans out there, and they've got two burning questions for you. And I'm going to start off with the first one, and that is, right. what are, when are the new coins coming and what will they be? Do you have targets in terms of right. when <laughs> you will have new coins on the platform?
10: So, so we have published, I think you had Catherine Hahn, our uh, one of our board members on the show, or on Squawk earlier, um, and she may have mentioned that we we have got and, and published a digital asset framework, which outlines the criteria we look at for any particular asset before we choose to list it. Um, we, ha- we take that criteria very seriously. We do everything, including a deep engineering uh, survey of the asset. Um, you need to pass those exams before we will even consider listing the asset. Now, I can't talk about... Um, any asset that we're considering, or even in fact, if we are considering any assets, that would be material non-public information. Uh, but suffice to say that we have a framework out there, and we have a lot of interest in new assets being put on our platform. A lot of lot of people are, are campaigning for that, uh, but it'll be an orderly process by which, if you meet the criteria, then then there's then there's every you know there's every indication that you you may at some point be listed on our exchange.
1: Would you expect that at least one more cryptocurrency will be listed by say mid next year?
10: I, I, I can't comment on, on, on that. That'll, there, there'll be a lot of speculation. I think you should expect over time that there'll be more and more assets listed.
1: All right. The second uh, most popular question that I'm getting for you, Asif, is when is SegWit yes. or Segregated Witness going to be implemented on Coinbase?
10: So, so we, we, we've, uh, we've looked at that. Um, it's, it's one of the things we are, we are working on. I think Brian, our, our founder, made a comment um, uh, last week on it. Uh, we, are, we are looking to, to, to implement it, but we cannot commit to a specific time frame.
5: Hi, sir. It's Brian Kelly. So I'm curious on the framework uh, that you have for these currencies. Yep. Um, you know, it, could we look at the ones that you've listed already, and would it be safe to assume that anything that kind of looks like that, and what I'm getting at is Bitcoin Cash, would be, would be, would be uh, ready to be listed on your, your platform? Because Bitcoin Cash is effectively Bitcoin. I mean, I, I mean yeah, that in yeah. the in the development way. People in the world will get mad at me if I, I, I call it the same thing. No, I
10: I, I, I understand. I th- I think I think at hundred thousand feet, that's probably directionally accurate.
1: At a hundred thousand feet, it's directionally accurate. Okay. Yeah. So 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 the types.
10: I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to be vague. You know, we have listed we have listed a series of assets. We have a digital asset framework. I think if you looked at the assets we've listed and you look at the framework. You know people can for themselves decide which assets are more likely than not to be listed.
6: Asif, um, you know so obviously uh, the the Bitcoin futures uh, launch last week was pretty successful yep. um, is do you guys expect to trade futures? Do you expect uh, options when they're listed on cryptocurrencies as something that you will be, have the capability for coinbase users to trade
10: so great great question. I think the the advent of futures is a great step in the maturation of the of the asset class it's It's a good thing. Um, I think that in the same way that you've in equities or any other asset class you've seen the advent of the underlying being traded and then the advent of futures and options being traded the same thing will happen here Um, i do worry personally about the design of the futures um, both of them that are out there i think given their design there's 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 uh specifically some significant problems that they may cause Um, i think the risk management tools we have are going to struggle with the volatility um, and especially the settlement mechanisms around both of them i I think it personally i think it would have been better to either have built a physically settled uh, um, uh, future, uh, because that, that, that creates more stability and predictability, or a financially settled future against what is the largest, deepest, most reliable uh, market and market data around it, which would be ours. Um, now, having said that, the, the, the futures that are out there both rely on our market data indirectly mm-hmm. um, and directly for, for some of the settlement. Uh, they're doing that without our permission. Um, and so we have uh, gently reminded them of that, and we're in discussions about how they should obtain permission from us to use our data appropriately.
1: Should we expect a Coinbase IPO anytime soon, uh, or for <laughs> a, a big exchange to buy you guys? It would be a logical fit.
10: I yeah, I, look, uh, we we uh, so I can't comment on any any M and A right, but but I think I think we would be pr- quite expensive for any for any exchange to look at. Um, that being said, it, it is certainly in the interests of our investors, uh, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and others who've invested in us, they, 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 they look to get a return. Um, and I think the most, the most obvious path for Coinbase is to go public at some point. Um, I think there's a lot for us to do between, between now and then, whenever that date is. Um, and the number one focus that we have uh, right now is to continue to deliver on our promise right. of being the easiest and most trusted service uh, to, to, in which to trade these assets.
1: Asif, do you own any cryptocurrencies? Do you trade them? Do you, do you get paid in cryptocurrency? <laughs> I,
10: I, I, have the, I have the option of being paid in cryptocurrencies. Um, I, I have been a trader of cryptocurrencies for some time. I do own, I do own cryptocurrencies and have, have done so prior to uh, taking the role Which with one? Coinbase. So I've been a fan. Which one? So I own both uh, Bitcoin. I've owned Bitcoin for, for a long time. Um, and I own Ethereum as well.
1: Okay. Asif, a pleasure speaking to you. Hope you'll come back to Fast Money soon.
3: Thank you very much, Melissa, for having me on the show.
1: Asif Hirji of Coinbase. Fascinating business. Well,
3: fascinating business. A business with still a ton of margin in it, and still they are at least one of the easiest ways to get in. Not so easy to get out, so it seems. At least the size of the transactions, or at least the amount you can do, and then put to work. But clearly, uh, I think these guys deserve a lot of credit. First of all, for being uh, the most user friendly, and, and they're criticized actually because support is difficult. But they're they're a victim of their own success, frankly. I mean, there are so many people logging in on a retail basis. I think that's one of the criticisms they face.
4: And Tim and I also often talk a lot about the model of being in the gold rush, selling the Levi's jeans, selling the pickaxes, right? And These guys are right in the heart of it. I mean, what an incredible business to be in.
1: In terms of the next coin to be listed, I would imagine that would be a huge trade. Once you put a yeah. point up there and you get all those accounts trading that coin, that's huge. That's that's very big, and that's why I asked the question, because, I mean, everybody wants to know that, right? Did you come away thinking it was going to be Bitcoin Cash?
5: Um, I Probably probably more than I did at the beginning of the show after yeah. that question. I mean, it just, it, I, and, and again, it could be another fork of Bitcoin. It could be something like Zcash, which is a fork of Bitcoin and would likely fit some of those rules. Um, but the, that one just seems like the most obvious one. That is also what everybody kind of wants to know in the community. So uh, maybe I did a community service.
1: Well, as uh, cryptocurrencies get more and more popular, we couldn't help but notice that a lot of these coins have very exotic sounding names. So exotic, in fact, that they sound named like names you'd give a wildcat at a zoo, for instance. So it's time to play Cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency or cat? Oh. We used to play a game yeah. like this yeah. with pandas, by the way. And ideas. Yeah. Okay, so right. we will read out a name, and the traders here will, will see if they can guess whether it belongs to a real cryptocurrency or a wild cat. You'll be shocked at these names. Komodo. <laughs> cryptocurrency or cat? Komodo. Tim.
3: It's a dragon. That's, that is absolutely feline. I'm not, I'm not falling for this. That's a cat.
1: It's a cryptocurrency, yeah.
3: right? Cryptocurrency,
1: <laughs> Komodo. Next contestant, right? Kitai, crypto or cat?
4: Kitai. Ooh.
1: Kitai. Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right. I, 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 oh, not familiar with that one, but I'm gonna go with. I'm not familiar with that one, but I'll go with cryptocurrency.
1: Wrong. Uh, it's actually the name given to a uh, snow leopard cub who okay. was born in June oh, in Berlin. Oh, that's so cute. Goodbye. Oh, all right, here's all the right. next one. BK doesn't play. <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, I don't not. get to play. Is, no, no, you do not get oh, to play. He's a Jedi master but I'll let Dan play, even of, yeah. though he's, he's also good at crypto. Drogon. Crypto De- or cat? Definitely, Drogon. crypto. Definitely, cat. Are you thinking of Doji Coin? Doji Coin. The name of one of the black-footed cats at the Philadelphia Zoo. This one's a really tricky one. All right. Pura. Pura. Crypto or cat? Gotta be crypto
3: just because now we're gonna even the score. Pura. Ah, it's a crypto.
1: I do. <laughs> Redemption at the end. At least yeah. I'm done I'm so 500.
4: I guarantee
5: you there is a developer out there right yeah, now yeah, creating like, uh, Dogon uh, Coin or whatever it was. <laughs> Dogon Coin, Coin. Yeah. and yeah, Coin. Yeah, exactly. I guarantee you those are going to be out tomorrow morning. Yeah, That's a great name.
1: <laughs> Still ahead, check out Oracle. Tanking after hours, the stock is down nearly 7%. We'll tell you what is investors hitting the sell button here. Plus, Karen's had the hot hand knocking pitch after pitch out of the park. She is back with another name. She's calling a screaming buy. And get this, it's already up 40% from its lows less than two months ago. She'll deliver her fast pitch when we come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for our favorite game, the fast pitch. Karen's standing by at the class to pitch. It's the one name she's calling a screaming buy right now. So, Karen, go ahead. Yes, I'll tell you
4: what we have. So normally I love fundamentals, and if you look on a trailing 12-month, you won't see it here, but we're at inflection point, and I love inflection points, and I love catalysts, and the name is Golar. So what's happening here that co- is causing now to be a good time to buy it? They recently deployed the massive ship, the Hilly. This is an FLNG, which is an enormous ship that does floating liquefied natural gas. This is a multi-year project just to build it, and now it is delivered. It came in under budget, on time, and we're gonna see this start to make money early in the first quarter of 2018. This was a, a, a tremendous technological feat, and they got it done on time, under budget. So we're gonna see the hilly, that's very important. The next thing that's really important is, while they do these big projects, they also have a lot of exposure to LNG carriers. And day rates have skyrocketed in the fourth quarter. Earlier this year, they were below 20,000. Now we're looking at north of $70,000 a day for day rates. And when you see those enormous moves in day rates, that almost all falls to the bottom line. And then the third thing is another big catalyst, financing for their next FLNG, the Fortuna. I think they are very, very close to getting that probably won't happen by the end of this year, but very early next year. And when they get financing for that, that is another tremendously EBITDA generative project. So they've got two of them and then they've got more projects in the pipeline, but those are the most advanced. The hilly is already there. Last thing is the stock. This is the top for oil. It traded down with oil. It really shouldn't have. it's not so much of an oil story. And here we are right here, but so much progress has been made, and we are at an inflection point with Catalyst, great management team. It's a big position for me. Golar.
3: Hey, Karen, it's Tim. So one of the big issues for the entire LNG space has just been in terms of the fleet, has been the number of fleets and the supply of this enormous amount of tankers that get built up. How do you feel about this? Because we've been here before. I think we're in a different place than the past, but that's a big risk always. Right, well, Tankers, it is a very, very cyclical business.
4: Right now, they're in a really good part of the business. We've seen the the fleet growing at a much slower rate, and we're going to see older ships taken out of service. But really, the main driver of this story is the two enormous projects and more further down the pipeline, but the Hilly right here, right now, and the Fortuna very close as well. Those are going to be the main drivers of value. Those are not cyclical, those are a different kind of business, multi, multi year contracts.
1: All right. Let's vote. Dan Nathan, what do you say? I think you
6: buy it. I mean, that was a great fundamental take there. But just, you know, there's high short interest there. It's a very levered company. This thing gets through 30. It's off to the races.
5: Speakers. you know what I love the fundamental story but you look at the chart and it's a buy as well what is it wow. Yamato says the longer the base the higher in space it's, yep, exactly that's, that's what I think says. you're looking at here Tim.
3: and for the clean sweep the reason the base wow. is now inflecting as Karen pointed is that I do think a lot of that supplies that way but but LNG spot charter rates are are very high if they hold these levels the stock's absolutely a buy.
1: Uh, the stock, by the way, in the after hour session is spiking Boom. Sure 6%. They. Buys here on the desk all round. but did Karen's pitch for goal or make you want to get in the stock? Head to Twitter right now, at CNBC Fast Money. Vote in our poll. We will reveal the results later in the show. Plus, Disney CEO <laughs> Bob Iger was all smiles today as he announced a deal to buy Fox's assets. But will his $50 billion bet pay off for investors? New York Times columnist Jim Stewart will be here to weigh in. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
10: I love my job, I love the company that I've had an opportunity to run for 12 years. I believed strongly in this combination and knew that if we pursued it that it would require me staying longer and I thought that was the right thing to do both for me personally but also for the shareholders of the Walt Disney Company. This is going to take a lot of energy and a lot of focus and I look forward to rolling up my sleeves and getting involved over the next few years and putting together a company that. I think will be both compelling to shareholders, but also great for consumers around the world.
1: That was Disney CEO Bob Iger on CNBC's Squawk on the Street this morning, sounding like the happiest man on earth. So does Disney have a friend in Iger forever? Shareholders should hope so. Take a look at this. Disney stock has soared more than 350% under Iger, but that pales in comparison to his predecessor, Michael Eisner, who saw returns north of 1,700%. So just how long will he stay at the Mouse House and what does this mean for the stock price? Let's bring in New York Times columnist, Pulitzer Prize winner and author of Disney War, Jim Stewart. Jim, always great to have you here on Fast Money. Good to be here. Um, Would you be more excited as a shareholder about the the prospects of Iger staying or the deal happening at this point?
11: Well, I think it's worth pointing out when you look at those statistics that almost all of Eisner's 1,700 percent gain was in the first 10 years, not the second 10. So, uh, Iger's at the 12-year mark. He's done really well. Oh, <laughs> was we like, go. he's
1: made the turn here and it There's could go south. <laughs>
11: w- weren't you just talking about inflection points? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, no, Iger's done a great job. Um, There's a big challenge here. I didn't believe he really wanted to retire or would, even though he was, he was saying he would. He's got a big project in front of him. He's really bet the company. This is a massive deal. One thing I find very interesting about it, they are really doubling down on this over-the-top. They are going into the distribution market. They're going to be vertically integrated. The CEO of Disney in the future can't just be the creative content genius that Walt Disney was, that Eisner thought he was, that Iger has been. You need somebody who knows distribution, who can be an operator and is as comfortable in Silicon Valley as they are in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. That is going to be a tall order. Can Iger step into that role? Well, we'll see. But he's, you know, look, he's done a fabulous job. And I think strategically, this makes a lot of sense. It
1: makes a lot of sense if you have a very long term or a longer term horizon. But in the short term, aren't you competing against uh, the likes of a Netflix, a Google, an Amazon, an Apple who are willing to make low or no margins on this business? And why, as a shareholder, do you want Disney to throw themselves into that sphere of competition?
11: Well, that's an absolutely good question. I think near term, and I mean like three, four years out here, I'd be very cautious about the stock. I mean, there's going to be a J curve here. There's going to be a lot of investment. There's not going to be a lot of return right away. And as you point out, you're heading into the most cutthroat, deep pocketed competitors in the the country. I mean, and they've got a lot of stuff going for them. Amazon, Netflix, they already have big subscriber bases locked in there. Disney has yet to prove, even with all this content, that they can establish a similar uh, volume that. I think they probably can, but the margins are not going to be fat for a long time.
1: The other piece of this is that for a very long time ESPN had been Disney's problem. Investors were solely focused on the decline in subscribers and cord cutting. With the regional sports networks, the RSNs, does that solve that problem? Does it just amplify or, or give them a bigger presence in a space that's on the decline?
11: I don't think it solves the cable problem. And by the way, I think ESPN is a big problem. Iger has done a brilliant job of kind of changing the subject yeah. here and, and trying to get like a big Netflix multiple on here. but. There was, you know, it's been flat to declining. I think this quarter will be very interesting to see what happens there. Uh, adding more cable channels doesn't help with that. It may help with the over-the-top product. I mean, again, you get local monopolies of these sports franchises. People are going to be willing to pay maybe quite a bit to get that directly. I think it's part of the over-the-top bet. Clearly, a big part of their strategy here is to beef up the content offering so that you have must-have uh, Content that subscribers will go over the top and pay for. I think that's what. But you know, from an antitrust perspective, the the sports channels are the biggest problem. Right. And um, yeah, I'm writing this week about the antitrust stuff. You've got a Trump administration best friends of Murdoch. So you know, all bets are off here. This this probably will sail through. But from a you know strict antitrust perspective, antitrust perspective, the the sports thing is a problem.
1: Jim, great to have you with us. Thank you. Jim Stewart with the New York Times. Tim? Well,
3: Jim talked about multiple, and he referenced it. Look, if these guys get anything out of that, that Netflix or that Halo effect, Amazon multiple, I think even if they get back to their old multiple, you stay in Disney, I think it's a
1: buy. Yeah.
5: Well, I would talk very short-term as a as a trader here against 112. I'd probably be taking profits, and if you like it, then look to get back in around 104. I think it's in this. It's a big range, but it seems to be in this range. 112 seems to be the resistance.
6: I think it's interesting that Jim mentioned that you know the CEO of this new company has to be as comfortable in Silicon Valley as they do in Hollywood. When you think about it, you look at Disney's board. Sheryl Sandberg's on that board. Jack Dorsey's on that board. At some point, we're going to get back to that succession game and seeing what the next act looks like. And we were all speculating. Remember when Tom Staggs, the COO, resigned uh, <clears throat> a year and a half ago when yep. Iger was staying on? Mm-hmm. Wow, wouldn't Sheryl Sandberg be a fabulous CEO for a company like that? I think at some point you're going to start to see they're going to have to pull in somebody big, right, to, to kind of uh, Well,
4: help not until 2020. You're saying with well, no, we Iger at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Still
1: so ahead, check out shares of Golar, Karen's fast pitch. They're surging. Are you buying the stock? Head to Twitter right now, at CNBC Fast Money, and vote in our poll Plus, Oracle sinking nearly 7% after hours. That conference call just wrapping. We'll tell you what the C suite just had to say uh, that's got investors so spooked. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oracle sinking in the after hours following its earnings after the bell today. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the very latest. Josh.
8: Well, Melissa, it would not be an Oracle conference call without Larry Ellison calling out the competition. Here he is going after Amazon. Take a listen.
6: We're so confident of our cost advantages over Amazon that Oracle will provide our customers with written service level agreements, then guarantee the guarantee. Moving to the Oracle Cloud will cut Amazon's data, customers' database bills in half, or substantially more than
2: in half.
8: You can see, Melissa, though, investors not feeling as confident there, though, in the after hours, at least initially here. You know, we were down 4%. We took a leg lower on this guide. Uh, Software Cats given a guide here, total revenue of 2 and 4%, total cloud revenue of 21 to 25 21 to 25 percent. If you looked at the cloud business in the quarter, uh, you know, SaaS revenue, 1.1 billion, that was in line, but platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, remember they combine these two now, $396 $396 million, That was below expectations. Bottom line, total cloud revenue clocked in at $1.5 billion. The street was at 1560000000 billion. Uh, we're going to have a lot more tomorrow to talk about with Oracle CEO Mark Hurd, get his take on this quarter. That is live and exclusive tomorrow on Squawk Alley. Melissa, back to you.
1: Yeah, we look forward to that. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Is this an Oracle problem? Is this a cloud problem? Where is this problem?
4: I don't know. That's what I was exactly wondering. Is yeah. it a pricing problem, and the, the pie is still growing, but pressure margin pressure or are they losing share? I don't know. I do get a kick out of Larry Ellison, though. i do not is long it, it. Do you <laughs> want, if
5: you, do you want <laughs> your company going against Amazon in a price war? I wouldn't, right? I mean, Amazon's willing to lose money. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm not sure that that's why. To me, that's why the stock down. It's but not they're, a great they're,
3: they're, And that's fair, totally fair. I think the SaaS business is more important for them, and that was what was in line. The stock had a big move. The fact that it's pulled back, 45 on the charts, a very important level for the stock. I, I think, if anything, you buy this weakness.
1: I feel like we see weakness on the earnings a lot in Oracle. That that is a good point. uh, We see a a recovery. Uh, Sticking with tech here, let's check out shares of Twitter jumping more than 4% today, hitting its highest level in more than a year. One trader is betting on even more gains ahead. So, Dan, why don't you break it down for us?
6: Yeah, so options volumes, first of all, it's trading at the highs of the year, um, which we have not been able to say a whole heck of a lot on too many occasions (laughs) over the last few years uh, in Twitter, up, you know, uh, substantially on the year, up more than 30%. But options volume is three times average daily. um, And calls, were outnumbering puts four to one. There was a lot of activity in the December and the March 22 calls strikes, but I think the March is more interesting because it's longer dated. The largest trade of the day there was 4,000 of the uh, March 22 calls bought for $2.35. Those break even on March expiration at 44.35, about 8% from the trading level here. And so if you look at a five-year chart, I think we have one here. The thing has obviously been uh, in the Hurt Locker for a couple years. There's still some pretty decent short interest. There's some M&A spec. They're getting some things around. I don't know if you guys have seen some of the new um, Twitter thread things and stuff. I mean,
1: Jack seems Really focused on
3: product here. And so, to me, this just story feels like it's taking a turn. Yeah. Twenty
1: yeah, percent this year? Yeah. Or one first year? of all,
3: I, I think the comps get a lot easier for these guys. I think the, you know, the, the rationalization is is uh, getting there, but also they've done some good, interesting video deals. I think the company certainly is is seeing their worst days.
1: All right. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, are you buying Karen's pitch for Golar? Someone out there is because that stock is surging in the after-hour session. Head to Twitter right now. You can still vote at CNBC Fast Money. The results right after this. Welcome back. Is America buying Karen's pitch for Golar? Let's just put it this way. Nobody puts a chairwoman in the corner. Nearly 60% said yes. And the stock, by the way, is up 6% in the after-hours session. So
3: There it is. There There it is. is. Confetti and everything. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh All right, Appreciate time for that. the final trade, Tim.
3: Yeah, I remember this today, Twitter, because we just talked about it. Free no. cash flow <laughs> yield's actually pretty good too. Stay long,
1: <laughs> Karen. All right, I gotta go with my final
4: pitch, but I want to just point out one thing Dan said. The short interest, I think, comes from the convert. As the stock trades up, people need to hedge that convert with short stock. Speakers.
2: Well, all
5: I know is the 40% that voted against Karen. I don't want to be friends <laughs> with you, but I like IWM on the sell-off today.
6: Dan. Interesting. You know, Goldman, to me, I know BK likes it, but you're, you're playing with all that Bitcoin money anyway. That's right. So, you know, I think Goldman <laughs> just made a big double top there. So I think 245 soon. Yeah. Uh,
1: GLNG is up 7% right I'm now. I'm, I'm, I'm Melissa Lee. Lee. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now...